We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. It was a terrible performance from the Nets in Game 2. Blew a 10-point lead, fell to the Celtics, now down 2-0 in the series. How are we doing? Hey, Nick, who am I? <laughs> who am I, Nick? Who am I, mate? <laughs> best, coach, best coach in the NBA, isn't he? Thanks, thanks, Katie, for that one. Thanks for bringing him along, mate. Really, really good decision by you and Sean Marks sensational decision even though steve wasn't the worst thing that happened tonight you probably got some responsibility to take there jesus christ nick jesus mary and joseph i apologize if that's offending anyone but you know i I said to you off wax thank god you weren't recording off wax because there were some profanities that were shared between you and i behind the scenes and I'll be doing my best to not bring them here because dear lord am i incensed right now you drop more curse words than the Nets dropped in the fourth quarter. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fair call, man. That's a fair call. Um, obviously, it is extremely depressing, I think, given how the Nets played in the first half. And they weren't great, but they had a solid lead. And then the second half, they just really collapsed, essentially. We're going to jump to that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start? I'm going to question for you, Nick, because it allows me to process my thoughts better when you speak and provide me with a level of calmness. It's like you're my cut. You know the app Calm. That's like a meditation <laughs> app, and it's sort of like Harry Styles telling like bedtime stories. I feel like I need that plus a million sages from Kyrie Irving to calm me down right now. Nick, what was the worst thing about this game two performance from the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, I would say the worst thing about this game has to be the fourth quarter. I mean, you lost the fourth quarter 29 to 17 and you had a five point lead going to the fourth. You were in position to at the very least have a game to the wire like game one. And if you lose on another buzzer beater, it is what it is. But you just didn't show up in the fourth and the Celtics just punked the Nets. They came in the physicality. They played hard. They played with confidence and the Nets didn't. And I mean, you can look at so many different people for the issues the Nets had. Obviously, number one is Kevin Durant. Like, he's your best player. You need him to be better. And I don't really care what the Celtics are throwing at him. It's on him to adapt. Obviously, his coach plays a role in that as well. But great players typically step up when the time is needed. And KD did not step up. Kyrie was horrendous himself. And like you mentioned, Jack, Steve Nash just 
doesn't know what's going on out there. He's not really making any big adjustments. We saw a couple early on in the first half, but in the second half, it was kind of like, all right, throw the ball to KD, let him run the offense, even though he's having an incredibly difficult time doing that. And the Celtics are putting all eyes on him. And it's felt like the Nets just don't have a counter to anything the Celtics are throwing at them. And they had three days to prepare for this game. Um, Let me try and process my thoughts before I say something I regret. <laughs> I, you're on the money. KD is probably the, the biggest reason for me. You know, I put out the stats of the bounce back performances after a poor shooting game, and you know all of them were were great. Tonight he had two uh, he had two bad games in a row, which is not something you say of the quote unquote best player in the world. He was genuinely awful. This is by far the worst game I've seen Kevin Durant play as a Brooklyn Met. Four field goals made, four of seventeen from the field. He had six turnovers, Nick. He had two more turnovers than field goals. And every turnover led to an easy bucket for the Celtics, it felt like. He has, he, has, he has an awful handle. Why does he keep dribbling the basketball? Why does Steve Nash still allow him to dribble the basketball? Give it to Bruce. Give it to Kyrie. Give it to Goran. Stop dribbling the basketball. I feel like so many live ball turnovers, like you alluded to. It's just like they doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. Kevin Durant is insane. Yeah, I mean, the second half of the Nets offense really did feel insane. And then, like I said to you before we hopped on, they did generate some good looks and they just weren't hitting shots, but they just had no rhythm and they just made life so easy for the Celtics. I mean, their game plan is pretty obvious to an extent is we don't want Kyrie and Katie to beat us. And it feels like at times Kyrie and Katie just aren't trusting their teammates to make plays. And it doesn't mean like let, you know, Seth Curry ISO, but be willing to pass the ball quickly when you get hit with a double team and be willing to be a distraction sometimes. And I think it's just very centric on them playing well for the Nets to play well when not to say this roster is stacked, but there's other guys can step up and play their roles. We saw Goran did in that second quarter, really didn't get a ton of touches. Seth had good moments when the ball was moving out there. Bruce was awesome to start the first quarter. It just felt like these guys had stretches in the game where they were really good. And then the Nets went away from them and just went back almost playing into the Celtics hands. And that was the most frustrating thing. And that's on KD, that's on Kyrie, and that's on Steve Nash. You know, the, the three most influential people in terms of dictating the way the Nets play basketball. Goran Dragic had 16 points in the first half. When did he come in, Nick, do you, do you think? Take a guess, because I've, I've got it down in my notes when he entered the game in the third quarter. When do you think Steve Nash and his wonderful game management inserted probably our best player in that first half? 310? 220 freaking six. Yeah, I was going to go Nash 220. <laughs> is, uh, let me try and think of an insult without getting well, myself well, canceled. And while you think of that insult, it's also annoying is the sense of Seth Curry picked up an early foul in the third quarter and he elected to go with Patty Mills instead of going with Goran, who I felt like just provided the Nets something that they desperately needed in this game. And this is a point that just came to my head watching. And the reason that Goran was able to have so much success is the Celtics were never coming off Katie and Kyrie. They were always not letting them get open shots. So when Goran's out there, he's essentially almost playing a two-on-two -two pick and roll when he's running it with Clax or Drummond or whoever he's playing with, or he's in a one-on-one -on -one situation because there's not as much help on the floor when you have two guys that are creating as much gravity as Katie and Kyrie are creating, even if they're playing poorly. Like I said, the Celtics game plan, I don't want to say it's obvious, but it's pretty obvious to an extent of what they're trying to do. And so far it's worked and the Nets have taken the bait. And you know what coaches do, Nick? 
They make adjustments. That's their job, to make adjustments. Does Steve Nash make adjustments, Nick? No. No, he doesn't because he's not a coach. He's a professional clapper. That's what he is. He's a professional clapper and I, and a, a guy who is just vibes. He's just like, yeah, all right, Katie and Kyle, you guys want the ball, man? All right, man, let's, let's just take the ball. He's just like a weird surfer dude who's coaching a basketball game. He'd be better at coaching freaking soccer. He's good at soccer. He, he, he's like headed the ball to Amari Stoudemire in the dunk contest. He's done Bleacher Report commentating for them. He needs to be fired, Nick. I am enraged that if he is our coach next year. And if it means Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are pissed off, good. You should serve <laughs> to be. If your coach is going to do nothing and show the level of reactivity, no proactivity whatsoever, it's just like they're sleeping or dead. Like they're just doing nothing. Our game plan, like you alluded to, Nick, is so predictable. It plays into any good defense's hands. The Nets did not play well at all this season against good defenses. Maybe the Miami Heat. But that's where one of Katie or Kyrie occasionally would have been a bit injured. And that's when, I don't know, look, maybe I'm I'm being... No, they played good against them with a duo and they played good against Philadelphia. But Philadelphia, I think, is an outlier given the environment stuff. But like you said, you know, they haven't necessarily played well. And I think... Like I said, there was adjustments in the first quarter in terms of defensive matchups, and that switched that up, and I thought that was a nice move. But there wasn't really many in-game adjustments to allow the Nets to excel. And I think offensively still, they need to find a way to make you know KD's life easier. He didn't play well, but again, Boston is putting him through hell. Like, they're literally, he's coming off screens, he's getting bumped by multiple players, and it's it feels like at times it's just like one KD versus multiple Celtics, and there's just... There's no counter to the Celtics giving so much attention to Kevin Durant. You know, it's like, all right, he's coming off Andre Drummond's screen. All right, they're not going to throw the ball to Andre Drummond. Cool. We're going to put two bodies to to make his life harder to get to that point. So there's just not enough creativity offensively to make the Celtics pay. Run a goddamn pin down. But, like, play Kevin Durant off the ball. How hard is that? You know, get him in the post so we can get some action. If he gets doubled, he can kick it out to someone because he did that to Seth Curry tonight when he got doubled down low. He's a good part. He's a good passer. Obviously, the turnovers tonight weren't through a lot of his passing. I think one or two of them might have been through his passes. Play him off the ball. Put Curry, the ball in Kyrie Irving's hands. Or play him with Goran. Do it with Goran. Do it with Bruce, for God's sakes. I just don't understand the complete lack of adjustments in-game, as you alluded to. I thought Brown was great on Tatum today. You yeah. know, throughout the third quarter, Kirk Goldsbury had that Jason Tatum was 3 or 4 in te- transition, 0 of 9 in the half court, and was 0 of 7 with Bruce Brown as his primary defender. That was midway through the third quarter. He was incredible on him tonight. Bruce Brown deserves a lot of credit for stepping up because in previous matchups, Jason Tatum cooked him. And it was a, a, a great game from, from Bruce Brown. So there are positives to the depression that we're all probably feeling right now as people listening to this podcast. But it was yeah, relying on Bruce Brown, Goran Dragic to win you a basketball game against the second seed is just not going to happen, Nick. It's just not. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not. And then also it just felt like... Katie and Kyrie didn't believe that either. And they eventually just started taking, you know, all the shots and the possessions. And obviously they're star players and that's what they're going to do. But again, you know, this is a good Bruce Brown game. This is a good Seth Curry game. This is a good Goran Dragic game. And it all was pretty much wasted. <laughs> you know, it was just like if the Nets could have just gotten 
a pretty good performance from Kyrie or KD, or if they got, you know, the previous uh, game one Kyrie in this game, it would have been a win, but it wasn't. Those guys didn't play well. They didn't step up. And again, I've said this, Boston's defense is great, but these guys are missing shots that they can make. They're missing open looks. You know, Kyrie got them and drop a couple times and had, you know, a nice mid-range jumper that he typically hits, just was hitting back iron. And KD is just in all types of funk. His game has absolutely no rhythm at this moment in time. He was okay in the first half. Yeah, he was good in the first quarter. The first quarter, sorry, yeah. And then it's just like he was starring in the movie Thunderstruck Part 2 all over again. And again, like you mentioned, the, the physicality of the Boston defense is is something. But him and Kyrie just, ha- just hang on to the ball for too long. Just get rid of it. Let's get some ball movement going. We know we've spoken about the Nets when they're at their best. That ball movement is high. And I, I noted this stat a couple of days ago on, on, a, on a net spaces in terms of their passing. When the Nets win, they have 274.2 passes. That's what they average. And 27.4 assists is their average. When they lose, 257.7 passes and 22.7 assists. Now, I'll take a look at what their assists were tonight, but it didn't feel very high. It's 16. So, yeah, it's Pretty bad. Proving, <laughs> proving my point, Nick, that... If the Nets Austin had 27. And it's just like, we know how good the Nets can be. And they just go away from it. And they just, that's the most frustrating thing about it. There's, we spoke about floor and ceiling. And like the floor is, you know, Michael Jordan said the ceiling is the roof. The floor is the basement for the freaking Brooklyn Nets. It's the dungeon. It's the core the, of the earth. <laughs> it's the basement. It's the the core, the magma that's inside the core of the earth. Whatever all those, I should know this. I'm teaching about, you know, the earth, you know, in, in the coming weeks. But in saying that, the Nets suck right now, Nick. They are, they are not a good basketball team. I think this was probably my biggest fear going to the series was something we talked about. Like you said, Jack, the ceiling and the floor. And it's just that we, there was an anticipation that they would step up from a mental you know, perspective and engagement, a focus perspective. And it just really hasn't been there. And they've just seemed flustered. And some of that's like mentally being, I guess, soft in a sense is not really a term I love to use, but it's also like physically being soft and just getting beat up out there. And some of that's too, it's just like their roster and not having wings. Like it's tough because the Nets are constantly in a mismatch, no matter who they put out there. And like Kessler Edwards ideally would be a guy that you can play, but he just looks as rookie as you can rookie rookie in a playoff game. Like it's just, he's scared to touch the basketball. And like I tweeted out, I think that's kind of on the Nets for not developing him fully throughout the year. But beside the point, I mean, it'd be nice to have Ben Simmons right now. And in some ways, maybe he can be that savior. But at the same time, it's just an overall vibe of the team is like sometimes when things get tough, they just like fall instead of, you know, just hit back. You know, they get smacked in the mouth instead of smacking back. They're just like checking for blood and get hit again. Yeah, it's and look, you want the ceiling of this team via Chris Mulholland. The Nets shot 60 percent from from the field and 50 percent from three in the first half. And we're 11 or 13 from the from the free throw line. That's the ceiling of the team. The basement of this team, as we alluded to, is 10 points in meaningful time. And then Steve Nash calls a timeout and runs an ATO play. And it's just like, okay, so you run a play when the game is done? That was more infuriating for me. Nick. I don't know about you if you were still engaged. I was, uh, no, I was. I lost my engagement at like the three-minute mark. I think oh. there's was, there was enough, enough negativity and just the vibe of the team where as much as I wanted to believe, I knew it was over. I think I shot you a DM. <laughs> you did. You're like, I'm ready as soon as this game's over. And I was... <laughs> I'm a sadist. I was still watching for for some reason. I enjoy pain. 
and I was experiencing high levels of it as probably all of NetSpoiled was in, in saying that. But I I don't really have... I think we should probably dive into you know the, the players and, and, and start, I guess, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, the two superstars, the most skilled duo that we've ever seen, according to so many commentators, or the most skilled duo in the NBA, Nick, had 8 of 30 from the field were minor, and had 33 points between them. And we're bad. We're like awful. Like Kyrie Irving seemed very disengaged and a little bit apathetic. It was like the opposite. And again, this is me just looking at the general persona that he had. It was almost the opposite of game one. Yeah. So th- he, maybe he gets a little bit of a pass because game one was so incredible. I give him more of a pass than Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant has played two bad games in a row. So uh, I don't know. And a lot of Kyrie Irving shot were short and he missed a layup tonight man. yeah that was like bruce brown three four months ago i was just like that's the easiest shot that you probably had all season and i think that that's you know a lot of that's on katie and Kyrie. they're not trying to create easier looks for themselves they're deliberately their offense is we will whether ball is life ball don't stop duo we'll get highlights aplenty on house of highlights by just you know shooting over three defenders but I'm just going to be like, oh, well, I won't use that screen. Or I'll just wait for the double to come to me. They're not making the lives any easier for themselves, Nick. Yeah, they're not. And like I said, I think some of it's just like not trusting their teammates, even though some of them played really well tonight. And you just need to put more. You need to trust them so they're threats on the floor so your life can be easier and you can get shot attempts that work for you. And again, Boston is doing a great job of pressuring these guys and they're taking the bait into some of these bad possessions. I mean, they forced KD like going left into multiple defenders multiple times in this game. Like it just like he wasn't getting to his typical normal spots. And if he was, he was getting rushed off of those spots. And I think it just gets to a point where you have to just like attack them with the pass. You have to just like make them rotate hectically for the entire shot clock. If this is the style they're going to play, because you really can't, you can't defend perfectly you know, the entire game. If you're constantly being asked and put into stressful situations, no matter how good you are. And we saw the Nets have success with that in game one, in the second half of that game where they started moving. And I think too, a lot of it is just off ball. It just gets so stagnant. But again, like you said, Jack, it starts with the superstars because they're being stagnant with the ball where they're just like sitting at the top of the key. And it, it sometimes it almost makes it easier to, you know, help when a guy is just, just kind of putting it right in front of you. I remember one Kevin Durant cut early in might have been the second quarter. I'll, I'll try and find it as as you you know probably respond to it to what I'm saying. I'm like, okay, there's something that I haven't seen from KD for a while, and it was just like, okay, well, yes, the the movement of of cutting you know it, by nature is a little bit difficult and stressful on your body, but it's gonna get you easy looks, mate. You know, it's yeah. just and it what? puts the defense in a stressful spot because of the way they're trying to physically stop him. Like they're literally trying to put a body on him and preventing him from coming up the court or down the court, whatever angle you're looking at. So it's like you need to put them in more stressful situations instead of just running the same shit you've been running all season. You don't think the Celtics know what you're doing? Udoka was on the coaching staff last year. He knows what you're trying to do with Kevin Durant. Uh, he had it, he actually did it twice in the first quarter. So again, as you alluded to, that, that first quarter it looked quite positive from him. Yeah, I just don't understand this team and these guys sometimes, Nick. It's 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 boggling, mind-boggling, you know, genuinely because it's just like they go away from the things that they do well and you know, there was some pretty solid defense I thought throughout this game 
And then there was just like lapses and lapses and lapses. And I, I understand certain lapses on, on switches and rotations and whatever. A lot of those were from Kevin Durant. Al Horford has been cooking him from the perimeter. Grant Williams was cooking him from the perimeter. That's on him. That's on the yeah, best I think play- some of that, I'll defend KD a little bit just in the sense of he's asked to help so much because these these guards cannot keep anybody in front of them. And what the Nets are trying to do is like, he's just, he's not playing at a high enough intensity, but it's also just multiple elements of this defense not working. The Celtics have done a great job of forcing KD to be the help defender when they're, he's defending the guy in the corner. So, Patty Mills, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry getting beat off the dribble has forced him to help. And they're just making the easy pass. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, man. Matt Brooks on Twitter. <laughs> Nick, um, I'm... I'm I'm going to try and get this out without breaking my laptop. Steve Nash on the Nets. It's a new team without a lot of common experience to go through battles and learn from them. I am going to break something, Nick, and I'm going to have to pay a very expensive fee at this Airbnb if I continue to read quotes from the Canadian Stephen. (laughs) I mean, are you surprised at this point in time? No, I'm not, Nick. I'm, I'm not at all because everything he says is bullshit everything that comes out of his mouth is just utter garbage he doesn't it feels like all of his basketball iq was in his playing career and then as he stepped off you know the monsters as a, for some reason wanted to steal his mind as a coach and they gave all that to Ime Udoka and willie green and all these other new coaches around the league because he's an idiot nick he's genuinely stupid like he look again, I'm probably going overboard, but I'm, I'm hated. I mean, it is. I mean, I understand. And I think Jack feels the way that a lot of fans feel right now is because again, game one, they blew it. You know, the Celtics essentially let them back into that game and gave them an opportunity to win. And they couldn't step up down the stretch and make those crucial plays, be it miss free throws, be it being reckless defensively. And then tonight they set themselves in a position in the first half 
to have a successful game. And they even gave themselves a cushion for the Celtics to outplay them in one quarter. That's fine. You're never going to probably outplay a great team all four quarters. You knew Boston was going to come with a punch. They withstood that punch in the third, but instead of hitting back in the fourth, they just collapsed. And like, there's really no other way to put it. They just didn't have the juice. Like you said, Kyrie wasn't playing with a ton of energy. KD was just, he's just in his own head right now. And then Steve Nash just isn't really having any level of impact on the floor. And it's just so many guys on this team just are not being put in position to succeed. And it, and to what Steve Nash is saying in terms of like, this is a new group and they don't have cohesion and chemistry. That's true. They don't, but like there are things you can do to make life easier for these guys and put them in position to succeed and just run, you know, simple basketball things. And that's just not happening right now. How do the hundreds, thousands of fans on Nets, Reddit, Nets, Twitter, no more than a guy who is a two-time MVP on how this team best works. It is staggering, Nick. It is genuinely staggering, and I hate to do this. You can respond. I'm going to mute my mic because I'm losing my voice, and I'm going to grab my water bottle. <laughs> yeah, Jack is putting a lot of energy out there right now. So uh, obviously it's high level of frustration, and like we talked about, it's high level for multiple guys on this team, but it's really – three of the biggest names it's like we talked about in the start it's Kyrie it's KD and it's Steve Nash like they're the guys that have to be better and they're the biggest names on this team so there's really no excuse like if Andre Drummond he's played like shit for the last two games if he's played like shit for the last two games that's okay he's a role player it was kind of anticipated he wasn't going to be good in the series but for the Nets to have any chance in the series KD and Kyrie are going to have to play at a superstar level. And so far, we got Kyrie for one superstar game in game one. But after that, we haven't even got all-star level from these guys. I'm back. <laughs> we got Peyton Pritchard cooking the Brooklyn Nets tonight, Nick. Peyton freaking yep. Pritchard had 15 points in 16 minutes and was absolutely dancing on us. I'm done with this team, Nick, it feels like sometimes. I've been through so much. Probably not as much as a lot of other fans. I'm trying to, I guess, be a somewhat of a, a voice for the, for the frustration of those fans, but still trying to. No, I can't. I can't keep level headed in this podcast. That's why I, I, that. I think let's try. I guess we could talk about a few of the good things. Bruce Brown was awesome to start this game. I mean, talk about a rebound effort. No, I know, run from himself. Yeah. And I mean, like, he played like shit in game one. He knew it. And he came out and played excellent on both sides of the ball. And he was just making plays. You know, he finished with 23 points, 8 of 12 from the four, three of four from three, four of four from the free throw line, eight rebounds, four assists, one steal, two blocks, and only had one turnover. I mean, you couldn't really ask more from Bruce. You couldn't. And and as I alluded to, his defense was also incredible. He was making hustle plays. He was getting blocks. He there was, was doing... one play, Jack, sorry to cut you off, but this is exactly what we needed from Bruce was there was three Celtics. And he somehow popped in between all three of these guys and came down with the board. Like, those are the plays that you were missing in game one. And they they were there in game two. They were there and then some, Nick. You know, it's it's something to to know that you're probably your best role player had a, a really, really bad game in game one. And, you know, I, I, I'd said some things uh, on one of the episodes, either with you or with Chris. I'm like, I'm going to back Bruce Brown in. You did. And, you did. You said it with me. And I'm just like, he steps up. I didn't think I'd need to say it about Kevin Durant, <laughs> that he would bounce back. You know, I, 
I've spoken to a few people on Twitter. Stevie uh, Cozens, who's a really, really good guy when it comes to uh, covering New Zealand basketball and the Portland Trailblazers. He's like, I expect Kevin Rand to bounce back. Kevin Rand didn't bounce back tonight. And it's, and again, it's, it's, I think it's just so shocking to me. And I, I know you're trying to steer me towards a more positive direction. And I appreciate you for trying to help my mental health and help my state of mind. But I, I can't, Nick. I, I, I can, I can acknowledge Bruce Brown and the great performance that he did have, especially in in that first quarter. And I think overall in the entire game, because he was cutting, he was hitting his floaters, he was screening, he was doing things on both ends of the floor. And I'm just like, okay, that's Bruce. That's the Bruce that we've seen for 90% of the the last two or three months. But ultimately, we're analyzing our role players. You know, it's like if- They outplayed the stars tonight. That's like so shocking. Like, it, when was the depressing. last <laughs> shocking, depressing, infuriating? When was the last time a team won a playoff game when their third, fourth, and fifth best players were the ones that dragged them home? And it almost happened. It almost happened, despite the fact that Kevin Durant had an historically bad game. Kyrie Irving was almost missing. You know, I think it, it was just like, where's Kyrie? You know. Uh, it's where's Waldo and you just you scroll through the pages you see that dog the old man and it's just like okay so and like Bruce Brown there are all those like extra characters in where's uh, Waldo where's Wally for, for all the Aussie fans out there and it's just like it's always so hard to to find Wally over Waldo sorry I'll, whatever uh, uh, when it comes to, to those pages and it's just like oh there he is that's what we got from Kyrie like twice or three times tonight it, and he was and I think that I don't know what's worse. Kevin Durant's, you know, just having the ball so often and then just turning it over consistently, 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 or Kyrie Irving not getting the ball at all or just being almost gone missing uh, in this performance. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely had stagnant possessions. I think, I mean, Katie at least scored 27. It was 18-20 from the free throw line, had five assists. That's that's something, but still, like you said, he killed a lot of possessions Uh I felt like, like I said earlier, all of his turnovers essentially led to buckets for the Celtics. So, I mean, both guys were equally bad, honestly, in my opinion. I think you could probably put more on KD because he's a better player and you expect more from him, especially because he didn't play well in game one. At least Kyrie, you know, came to play in game one and he just had a letdown in game two. It's it's on both of these guys, though, to really step up. This duo wanted to be get, wanted to be together. They wanted to be on this team. They wanted to have a chance at a championship. Well, Game three, all the pressure is on. This is an extreme pressure game for both guys. One, two, three, Cancun, Nick. And okay, <laughs> I'll I'll put game three in the context because uh, I think um, Billy Reinhardt sort of tweeted out, you know, it's it's not over, all those sort of things. And we were hearing and seeing so many people before the game saying, oh, this isn't a must-win game. You know, the, the, the series doesn't start until a team wins away from home. And I put out the stat. I don't know if I said it on the pod. I might have said yeah, it. Yeah, you did. Um, I'll repeat it again. 7.1% of 435 teams have won coming back from 0-2. And everyone, and you were, were, were the first to address it, but then we analyzed it with some context. But everyone's just like, but Milwaukee did it last year. Milwaukee did it last year. Milwaukee did it last year. Milwaukee did it against us because Kyrie Irving got freaking injured. Unless we're hoping for an injury to Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, I don't think it's happening, Nick. Again, I'm always a prisoner of the moment, probably too much on these podcasts. And that can be a criticism that I think is valid for anyone who might have it about me, but I can't help but separate 
those facts from how this team is playing right now. This team needs to win four out of five games with the way that they have played. They've played... They haven't played well as a team. They haven't been coached well. Their superstars haven't played well. How can you expect to win four out of five games against a team that is probably one of the two or three contenders to make the NBA Finals? Make it make sense to me, Nick. I mean, it's hard to. I mean, I'll be honest. It really is. I think the only thing you have going for you is they do have Katie and Kyrie, and Katie's been horrendous, and he hasn't really found his rhythm in these two games, and you hope that they can come with some counter and adjustments to get him going. And maybe some of that's as simple as trying some different players in the lineups. You know, that might be playing a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, who I wasn't really fond of playing, but right now you're kind of, your back is against the wall because like you said, game three is as must win as it can be. This game was really must win. And I thought there could have been some more creativity, but you have a break until Saturday. You have to figure things out. And some of that too could just be Ben Simmons coming back and providing you an impact. But again, who the hell knows what Ben Simmons is going to do on the floor given he hasn't played a single minute all season? A, a few stats um, to throw out there. ESPN stats and info. Kevin around in the second half of game two. 0 of 10 from the field, four turnovers. It's yep. the most field goals attempt without a single make in any half of his entire career, regular season and postseason. Nick, who do you think has had more field goals in the in the first two games, Al Horford or Kevin Durant? Well, I know it's Al Horford if you're asking me that question. So you are uh, correct, sir. You get nothing for that right answer. Fourteen to thirteen. Al Horford is outplaying Kevin Durant. Cam was right. I mean, I think like there has to be some level of context. Uh, the amount of pressure in which is being put on Kevin Durant and physicality and all that, and most of Al Horford shots and attempts have been essentially wide open, but. I mean, he's outproduced him to an extent, I guess, in made field goals. And it's, again, like it's just the Nets not having the right counter for what they're trying to do. It's like a lot of the stuff just looks similar to what you saw in game one when the Celtics were having success. And two is like some of this is the Nets still shooting themselves in the foot. You know, that's that's been KD with the turnovers. That's been whoever's turning the basketball over. If you look at points off turnovers, I think it's 18 to 9 in favor of the Celtics. And that's the difference in the game right there. That's 11 points, and that's what? They lose by seven. They lost 114-107. So, and that's nine points, isn't it? Uh, I, no, I, 11. Oh, my eight bad. To eight to 19. Eight to 19, sorry. I oh, might I have said, said it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good, all good, all good. But um, again, either either one. <laughs> you know, It would have been enough to win the game, and yeah, it just exactly. didn't happen. And I think that's just a level of frustration. And there's just really no identity with this team, and I think, again, that's just something that's been a concern as the season kind of came to an end. It, it's, there is an identity to this team. I mean, we know what the identity of this team, and they keep going away from it. The first half is the identity. Against the Sixers is the identity. You know, the Sixers is where they had a game plan. They actually targeted certain things and had certain key performance indicators. Speaking of that... Well, um, Jack, actually getting to the targeting thing, Payne Pritchard was on the floor, and they didn't find a way to target... Once. They got to switch on him once, and Kevin yeah. Rank couldn't even cook Peyton freaking Pritchard. Well, here's the problem is, too, is like if you get that switch at the top, both guys can come to the nail and help. And I know a lot of talk has been like, well, Katie's not doing anything with the ball. Like he can't really do things when guys are there, because if he does drive, he's just going to turn the ball over. We saw that happen when he had the drive, I think, at Jason Tatum, either in the third or fourth quarter. When he's in the middle of the floor, he can get attacked on the left or the right. It's getting that switch, getting him in the post and letting him hit contested mid-range shots at his spots. And it just feels like he's not even shooting at his spots. And this is a guy that we obviously watched pretty intently all season long. 
Yeah, Ime Udoka made some comments after the game. You know, you can check out some of the different beat reporters for them. And, you know, their game plan is pretty simple on him. And it is effective. And Steve Nash doesn't have the know-how or IQ to counter in any form or fashion to make things easy for his superstar. He's just... He's going out there and let the lamb to, to the leading the lamb to the slaughter or whatever the hell the saying is. Well, and the counter should be too is like, all right, cool. You want to send, you want to put two pairs of eyes on Kevin Durant. Then this other player who is setting the screen or part of this action needs to do something that's going to force the Celtics to be punished. You know, either that's setting a screen across the court for Seth Curry to get a wide open three, or that's Andre Drummond cutting to the rim for an easy dunk or something like that. And at different times in this, in this game, you've seen those plays work effectively. And then the Nets just go completely away from it. We saw it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that, that's what's the frustrating thing. Uh, according to shot quality, uh, I believe they actually had their, their stats out before game one as well. The Nets should have won that game. I think it was something like 56 to 44% in favor of the Nets in terms of the shot quality that they did have, the, their shot quality score. It's a good little page. Uh, in terms of tonight's game, Nick, the Nets should have won. They had a 74% win probability. Their shot quality score was 108, and the Boston Celtics was 102, and their pro- win probability was obviously 26%. So the Nets should have won game one and game two, but... Shoulda, woulda, coulda doesn't make me sleep well at night. Yeah, it's the it's a lot of the mistakes and also just not executing. And like we talked about with Katie and Kyrie, as poorly as they played, there was makeable shots for them in the fourth quarter. They just weren't knocking down. And some of that's credit to Celtics for disrupting their rhythm. But at the same time, it's the playoffs. And this is not something that you've never dealt with before. No. It, and we're, we're talking about Kevin Rand and Kyrie Irving, two of the great postseason performers in you know, the recent memory and they're just, they're a shell of themselves, Nick. It's just like, you know how with more experience, you generally get better. I mean, obviously there is, there is a tipping point and such, you know, I'll make a Pokemon reference, you know, as Charmander turns into Charmeleon and turns into Charizard, he turns into the fully formed version of himself. We've seen the best versions of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant throughout the past six months or however long it's been since October and now they've just gone back to a freaking magic carp. Yeah, I mean, I I do have my I have a slight I don't want to say theory or take, but I think also like some of it is just like there's a chance that KD could be just extremely worn down. <laughs> like he was carrying such a heavy load the entire season. Steve Nash is playing him 42, 44 minutes. He's he's what is he 33 or 34 years old, 33 years old, I think. And he's obviously still coming off that torn Achilles that happened two years ago. And just the amount of pressure that's put on him and just more wear and tear in the series. It's just like the workload at some point could just be too heavy. And again, you know, that's where you need Kyrie to step up. But again, for him, he's been great the three games before this. What was it? The Pacers, the Cavs and then game one, he was on fire. So he was almost kind of due for a bad game. But again, you're paid the big bucks. You're you're set up in this position to be a star. You have to just come through. You have to find a way to have some level of positive impact and help your team win the game. And really, you could argue that neither guy did that to the highest level today or even at probably a mediocre level. No, that was deplorable is the level that you're looking for there, Nick. <laughs> I, I alluded to 0 of 10 for, for KD. With, with Kyrie combined here at 1 of 7, so 1 of 17 in the second half for the most skilled superstar duo in the NBA, Nick. And again, that's not just the Celtics. That's just like the Nets missing some, those guys missing shots. There were shots for them to make that they just missed and shots that we've seen them make across their career. So 
in, in some ways, this is why you feel so sick about losing game one, because that's a game that was there for the taking. And, you know, today you just kind of had a collapse in the fourth quarter, which is always possible. But game one was there. Game one was really there for you to take. And this one was there until pretty much, what, five minutes in the fourth quarter where you let the Celtics go on some like 20 to something run. No, but Nick, it wasn't a must win. Don't worry about that, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get both of the wins at home. At this stage, I, I don't know where a win is coming from, you know, honestly. And again, it's a game it's by game. It's the level of inconsistency of this team that is, makes it unpredictable. Exactly. You know, unpredictable is a good way to surmise this current Brooklyn Nets team. Unpredictable, inconsistent, incomprehensible, infuriating. Send some words to us, guys. I might try and put that out as a tweet and, and sum up this Nets team in, in one word because... I've got a, I've got. I'll have a search through the dictionary and see if I can find you know four different languages and get on Duolingo to see if I can learn some new words to describe the ineptitude and infuriation that this team gives me, game after game after game and quarter after quarter after quarter. It's, and I think that that is what is more upsetting, Nick, than, than everything, is because we ride the highest of highs with this team, and they are high. They are to the peak of Mount Everest. They're enough to make you believe they can win a championship. That's what is the real sickening factor. <laughs> they are, and this team has been called the greatest what if team, you know, ever. And we always hear what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Well, now they, and a lot of those what ifs were uncontrollable, you know, vaccine mandates, James Harden turning into a fat bum. But now that there is a level of control for this Nets team, and they are whimpering, truly whimpering. With their three key stakeholders, three key people that are in control of a, a lot of what happens. Three key on, leaders. Three key leaders in Nash, Katie, and Kyrie. And you give a pass to Kyrie in game one. I don't think you give a pass to Steve Nash. I think he was okay. So, I, you know, if you want to give okay as a pass, I don't know. I have higher standards for an NBA head coach and higher standards for a team that, as you alluded to, it should be a championship contender. And KD is failing miserably. Uh, yeah. Failing miserably, Nick. And I don't think I've ever used those words in relation to Kevin Durant. I don't know if anyone has because it's so shocking. Like, it, it literally is to see Kevin freaking Durant just be so bad for two games straight. It's craziest, too, is if this happened last year after Kyrie had gone down and James Harden had already gone down it would be more understandable. And obviously, you know, maybe you say this Boston defense is better, but still there's another, another key attacker on the floor in Kyrie Irving. They still aren't able to find a way to have a functioning, you know, functioning offense where KD can get free and not be in distress the entire game. So again, it's, it's multiple angles of this because like you talked about, they're, they're able to generate enough good shots to win this game. They didn't hit those shots, but then also there's just other opportunities in this game where they didn't capitalize, and then also some of it's just they were never really in true rhythm. A lot of that was free-throw shooting that was able to kind of get those leads. Like we talked about, you know, KD was 18 of 20 from the free-throw line. A lot of the Nets' gen uh, points were generated for, the what, the first three quarters from the line. Yeah, no, and there were just little mini spurts that you know, towards the end of the second quarter. And yeah, that was just... a killer. Exactly to you know the start of the the, the sort of third quarter, yep. and it's just like yeah, you can do that against Portland and Detroit or whatever. You can't do that against the Boston Celtics. As much as I hate Marcus Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, 
uh, Jason Tatum and Al Horford, Grant Williams, and, and all of those dudes, I have to give them their, their juice because they have been outplaying us quite easily and they're doing everything to, to, to make us look silly, Nick. And we do as fans and as an organization, the Nets, the Nets are an inferior franchise, an inferior basketball team to the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I'm not going to go all that far. Um, <laughs> no, right I mean, now, I'm not talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about overall and whatever the future is, but right now, you can't make an argument game, to me. Right. Yeah. You, like, because the way that the Brooklyn Nets have been playing, the Pelicans won a game against the Suns. The Bulls showed fight against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, the Nets, the Nets should have closed out game two. That's how good they were in the first and second quarters. That game should have been over. They should have had a... 15-plus point lead. I think you said that their highest lead was 10 points. Yeah, halftime it was 10, and then it was 10 going to the third. And I think at one point in this game, they were up at least 14. They are so bad at closing out games this entire season. The the, the amount of blowouts... Actually, it looks like the Nets had a 17-point lead at one point, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll think I'll look. I think it's on the ESPN team. Yeah, side. 17. 17, and that was towards the end of the second quarter, and that's the run we're talking about because... I think they won a 7-0 run. Yeah, and then it ended up being a 10-point lead at the half, and that's just can't happen. And two of those plays, I believe, were KD turnovers. At least one of them was a turnover, and then Jason Tatum got a wide-open dunk, and I think it happened again, and then Jason Tatum hit a pull-up three... After really not doing anything, and another thing that sucks about this game is Tatum didn't play well. This was this might be Tatum's worst game of the series in terms of shooting wise. He was five of sixteen and really struggled. And that's where you know other the second superstar sort of steps in, and and Jalen Brown, who Corey did the reverse jinx on us, sort of saying how bad he was, and then he comes back to have a, an incredible second half of the game and was their best player tonight. No, I personally thought. And then you know, you got Grant Williams absolutely cooking for William Peyton Pritchard. It's just like they had at least one of their superstars do something tonight. All we needed was one of our superstars to do something tonight, Nick. And we had one of our superstars do something in game one, but unfortunately no one else was there to really join him for the ride. So it's just like the Nets, the Nets, I, I said that the Nets are an inferior team right now. The Nets should be a better team. And again, it's, all of the things that what makes it even more frustrating and makes you want to pull out your goddamn hair is is this fact that this team has so much untapped potential and we've seen it in the smallest of glimpses, but glimpses don't win championships. This team, I'm, I'm over calling them a championship contending team. If they win two games in a row, I might bring it back and they do it in emphatic fashion if they win like justin you know jason tatum and, and and you know this team sort of you know walks over the finish line like they're they're a turtle and, and tortoise in the hair then i'll be like oh, okay well like they're getting away with it a little bit here it's going to be about the nature of the performances the nature of the coaching the nature of the adjustments the nature of the efficiency from kd from Kyrie, the leadership from those two those two haven't been able to you know, Kyrie Irving, I think, showed great leadership in game one in terms of his actions. KD didn't. Kyrie didn't tonight. Goran Dragic certainly did. Bruce Brown certainly did. And to a lesser extent, Seth Curry. But, and, you know, your, your coach as a leader, um, unless he's a, becoming a professional clapper. Um, look, you know, sometimes team, the, the Nets have a great hype crew. I don't know if Steve Nash would even get a, a job with them. Hmm. Uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a pretty goddamn good clapper at that. So, yeah, I just... I, I don't know. 
I understand how this Nets team can get back into it because we've seen it, but I'm doubtful that they can win four out of five games. I'll repeat that. They have to win four out of five games, Nick. And yes, it can happen. Yes, history is made to be rewritten. And look, I'll, I might have to eat a second humble pie if it goes along with Ben Simmons. And look, I'm, I'm, I've had dessert tonight. I had a nice little bit of a, a, a Haagen-Dazs, you know, a, a nice new flavor that I, I haven't tried before. Thank you to uh, CVS for that one. But that was the only sweet thing that I had tonight, Nick. Yeah, and I think also another component of this, too, is just like the lack of other options on this team, in a sense, or the willingness to trust them, where like Kyrie and Katie don't play well, you're just going to lose the game. And I mean, that's the case for most teams, but usually there's at least something that can kind of be more of a threat out there. And I think it's a combination of the Nets not having a clear cut threat or them not utilizing that threat or putting them in an advantage position. Like I said before, if you're constantly getting two sets of eyes on your superstars, you need to have sets in there that are going to set up easy plays for a Seth Curry three or, you know, a Patty Mills or a Goran Dragic pick and roll with Nick Claxton. And I think at times we saw that. So it's like, it's there's almost a level of confusion with this game for me in the sense of like how much was the net or were the nets not taking what the Celtics were presenting and how much of it was the Celtics just playing great defense and how much of it was just the nets not executing and hitting shots. I think there's just a lot of different elements and there's just an opportunity for this team to win and they just didn't do it. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It's not like the Celtics were godly good in this game. No, they weren't. They certainly weren't. And they weren't godly good in game one either. No. And that's what makes it frustrating is that the nets, genuinely had a shot at winning both of these games and instead they're 0-2, which is, again, a deficit that is very, very hard to come back from. Via Matt Brooks and it, Kyrie Irving on the Celtics. When you've got seven guys in double figures, that definitely shows you it's a team game. Oh, man, I've got to stop reading these quotes. I've got to close Twitter right now, Nick, because the irony in those comments coming from Kyrie Irving, your teammates, your, your role players behind you were very, very serviceable, if not good to great. You're the one that wasn't a part of that team game, Kyrie. Yeah, I mean, it's true. They Well, he was outscored by Bruce. He was outscored by Seth. He was outscored by Gorin. So, I mean, he he was part of the problem as well, like we've kind of discussed. I mean, just a lot, a lot of levels of frustration and a lot of pressures on this team to win. And I think at this point in time, you're looking to extend the series the best you can. You're hoping you can win game three and four and see what happens after that. And you get to a game seven and it becomes kind of a toss up. So the goal right now for the Nets, I think, is just kind of forcing a game seven. Obviously, you don't ever anticipating winning four straight games. No, but we'll see. This team has surprised us in in many many ways in good and bad ways i'll say that this team it definitely would be the type of team that would take everything out of your soul just to give it right back so yeah it it feels like you know I'll, i'll throw another simpsons reference in there because talking about cartoons and funny tv shows and ice cream makes me feel a little bit better nick and just talking to you obviously as well you know, Bart sells his soul to, to Millhouse for like $5 and he's just going on this journey and he feels like he's lost his identity. And then he, he gets it back. You know, he gets it back by the end of the episode because The Simpsons is great and one of the best shows we've ever seen. Uh, but, you know, The, the Simpsons is, has, has waxed and waned in their consistency and quality over the, the 30 years that it's played. Maybe the Brooklyn Nets are The Simpsons, mate. Uh, but the, the, the Simpsons season like 3 to 12 is iconic. You know, the Nets in... Quarters one and two looked iconic. 
I, yeah, I, I just think I'll, I'll ask you a question. In fact, I'll ask you two questions because, and, and this is maybe the way we can end the pod before I, I keep looking up quotes and getting madder and madder and madder. One, our guy, actually, Brian Fonseca, who we had on the podcast a, a couple of years ago and is doing some really good things for, for a few different outlets, including FanDuel, put out the poll. I, that I already it, know what you're asking me. <laughs> you, know, you ready for it, Nick? Have you been thinking about it? Have you just been letting the juices and wheels flow in that gorgeous mind of yours? Pick the better coach, Steve Nash or Kenny Atkinson. You know, what's funny is I think I was mad at Steve Nash. You know, it might have been like three weeks ago and I texted you and I was like, where the hell is Kenny Atkinson? I remember that. I remember <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, I think to some extent, you know, you could say, you know, Kenny is, is done more with his team with less. But obviously the biggest issue with Kenny was he didn't get along with the stars. So that probably would have never worked out. But in terms of who's probably coached better as a net with what they've had. I mean, Kenny did a better job. Like he took that 18, 19 team to the playoffs and they really weren't that great. If you, you look at them on paper and also just see how some of those guys are playing now. Exactly. So look, you know, I think that the, the right summation of it is that Kenny's probably a better coach, but not the right one for this job. No. And neither is Steve Nash. Yeah. It's just like, Ty Lu was in the running. Phil Handy was in the running. And, you know, Mayu Doka was in the running. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Yes, he was, Nick. Yes, he was. You just stab it in my heart and then you stab it in my back as well. How many knives you got there in Poughkeepsie, my dude? Um, <laughs> I just, I, and I think ultimately, we, we ask for like X's and O's and, and all those sort of things for, for coaches at the very least. Kenny Atkinson was a good X's and O's coach in terms of a lot of the plays that he would run throughout games. He would be a little bit rigid at times and, and a little bit stringent with these rotations. And we would have a lot of frustrations with him in, in certain respects. But some of those things could have been good for this team. Uh, and some of the structure could have been helpful to an extent. I think... I think to say that is is pretty blatantly obvious. But again, Kenny Atkinson, it, we sort of there were times where we were like, oh, maybe he should have been given given a chance. But for, for the As record, you see, championship windows can close extremely quickly or never really fully be open. So I understand why they were just like, you know, we don't want to waste a year on Kenny. We don't think he's a guy. But the problem is. Steve Nash isn't a guy either. Yeah, so that's that's the problem. And maybe Steve Nash was the right guy with the three headed monster of last year, and because. You really just needed someone to manage vibes. You really just needed someone to manage personalities. And he really technically didn't do that well either because obviously James Harden requested a trade. But some of that's not on Steve. But again, it's just it's been an extremely difficult coaching job for Steve Nash in his first job. And just to put a rookie head coach in this situation, there's always an extreme risk. And Sean Marks took that risk. And it looks like it's backfiring as of right now. Sean Marks and Kevin Durant took that risk. Uh, I think that we need to include KD in that. And a lot of this, what is happening is, is on his shoulders. This is his organization, everything, including roster construction, things behind the scenes that we probably don't know about. A lot of it is to uh, appease Kevin Durant and rightly so, because when he's at his best, he's the best player in the league. But I mean, last year in the playoffs, he was on a different type of level and, I don't want to say he saw the same matchups and physicality, but he saw at least a taste of what he was getting from the Celtics and was still able to perform at the highest of levels. No, definitely. I think that the way that the Bucks defended in that series certainly suited him a lot more. I think he's used to, he can score one-on-one. It's just when there is you know, differentiation with different sets and different levels of physicality. For the record, 
that poll has over 600 votes and nearly 93% has <laughs> said Kenny Atkinson. Um, love prisoner of the moment polls. Absolutely gorgeous stuff from, from Brian Fonseca. And Nick, the, the second question I wanted to ask you, you know, we'll probably, we could go along. This it, it feels like we're in a sort of spaces vibe right now in terms of just like venting and, and sort of getting the stuff out there. So I hope our analysis has still been decent enough to, to go with it. We can go through maybe some key stats after I ask you this question as well to sort of like look at the game from a more objective lens because I, I I want to do that for, for the fans. They deserve that rather than just me rambling and making Simpsons comparisons for 45 fucking minutes. Uh, 45 <laughs> freaking minutes, sorry. Please beat that. Um, but in, in, in saying that, Nick, what is the likelihood? You love a good percentage, my friend. <laughs> Did you know this question was coming? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't threw it out of nowhere. It's like the the Celtics defense of Kevin Durant. Um, what is the likelihood that the Nets come back from a four zero deficit? And you cannot say two zero, two zero, two zero, two zero. Sorry, four um, zero. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> we would not. Man, I'm losing it right now. <laughs> um, might be time is, to celebrate the holiday. Yeah. Um, final day in New York. What a great, what a great way to end it. Um, and you cannot say seven point one percent. You gotta give me, <laughs> because those are the literal statistical odds of it. Where and obviously the Nets, given a, a lot of people have a level of optimism about it. Where do you stand <laughs> on the Nets being able to come uh, like Undertaker and win this, come back to life, and somehow steal this series from the Celtics? Oh man, I mean, I I really just like I I really truly hate being pessimistic, so I have to like allow myself to see some positivity. And you can see me like squeezing at my face, Jack. Uh, I mean, I think I'm gonna give him a ten percent chance, a one in ten chance. I think. I think there's a scenario too, you know, I would give it a higher percentage and then pushing a game seven and then losing it or losing in six. I don't think the series is going to be a sweep. I don't think it's over. I think Kevin Durant is too good to play three terrible games in a row. And I didn't think he'd play two bad games in a row, but I truly have a hard time envisioning him playing three terrible games. And maybe it won't be a Kevin Durant 50 or 40 piece that we've seen in the past, but I think it'll be at least good enough for the Nets to have a chance to win. So I'll give them... 10 percent what what do you got well uh, that's actually somewhat more uh, uh, less optimistic than i thought you would be i, I was thinking you might go like 25 percent. i was thinking 20 initially and then i had to like let my heart talk to my brain and my brain was like dude have you watched the first two <laughs> games of the series and the last month of the season and i think just it's just so unpredictable because i could see a scenario where the nets win these next two games and then also play like shit in game five and game six like there's just it's so sporadic the way they play. And I definitely took the bait on them and I'll happily admit that because I'm going to always be a little bit more positive towards my team than negative, especially when, you know, the world is full of negativity. So obviously I thought that they would rise and play at the level that I thought they could play at, but they really still haven't touched that for a four quarter game or even to an extent, an entire quarter. It just feels like, yeah, they'll be great for eight minutes and then four minutes. They'll be trash. Yeah, and look, maybe Steve Nash is right. You know, they haven't been through the trenches as a team yet. Haven't been through those. Love hearing training camp quotes during the pro postseason. It really gets me going. Bro, yeah. I'm going to be the optimistic one on this occasion. 7.1%. I'm going to double that. I'm going to give it 14.2% because, as you alluded to, this is a bipolar basketball team. You know, they reached the, the pinnacle of basketball greatness 
and they reach the the lows of the low of the Sacramento Kings and New York Knicks on on occasion. So, but in saying that, we we spoke about statistics from shot quality. We show, we've spoken about the fact that they've had the lead and and should have won so many of these games. So the the Nets could be two and zero in this series. So that should. If and I would say even fairly, like, 1-1 one, one is not, like, if you rewrote these games and a lot of the statistics were the same and you put it through a simulator, the Nets probably would have won one game. I would say that that is a high, high likelihood. I would say that it's more than 50-50 that the Nets should be 1-1. One and one. But they also had... They aren't. <laughs> they, one, they aren't. And it's because, you know, their, their lowest of lows have been more prevalent than they should be in postseason performances. They do it. They they can't bridge that gap. And we, and we said that I think to Cam or on on one of the previews. And it's just you can't be that bad. You can be that bad if you're the one and you're versing the eight. You're versing you know the Atlanta Hawks or or whatever else. But I I don't think the Nets would be able to uh, even do that against the Hawks. But you know what I sort of mean when it comes to quality yeah. of team. So I found another quote, Nick. Um, this one from Kyrie Irving. Ime Udoka knows us really well. He coached on our staff last year. I think he has some keys in the treasure chest that he's telling those guys. Yeah, the keys, Kyrie, are let's make Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant ISO, and then we'll throw a million bodies at you and be more physical with you. It's not like the the game plan isn't the most stringent and strenuous thing to think through. It's not like Ime, Ime Udoka was like Tom Thibodeau staying up 20 hours or Kenny Atkinson staying up 20 hours thinking about, okay, what sort of things do I need to do here to make things hard for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are making things easy for the Boston Celtics. They're taking the bait. They are taking the bait and absolutely getting destroyed by it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously very depressing and (laughs) it's frustrating and, Obviously, we hope things bounce back in game three. And again, the series is not over. It is 2-0. Jack has brought the statistics. But again, crazier things have happened. Kyrie's been part of some pretty special teams in NBA history. So maybe this team has a little bit more run to them. And maybe there's some magical adjustments that can be made. You know, maybe it's not Steve Nash. Maybe it's one of the assistants comes up with an idea that can really change the game. But Jack, any other depressing thoughts or takes you want to get off before you get out of here? No, I'm just sort of looking through the box score, looking through the team stats, and I think that you sort of touched on some of the big ones in terms of the, you know, the assisted such. You know, the Nets rebounded the ball pretty well tonight, yeah. and that's something that we were, were clamoring for. And you know, Bruce Brown, as you alluded to, you know, Andre Drummond, I thought was was better in this game, and you could make an argument that he might have been better than Clax uh, in, in certain stretches, you know, showing off some of his physicality, even like you know, a block that wasn't a block, and then an actual block that that was there too. So it's, I don't think I have any extra sort of thoughts to sort of add to it other than, boy, oh boy, I need to sleep. I need to sleep this stuff off. And thankfully, I have a 24-hour flight to look forward to. Yeah, (laughs) not ideal. But Jack, always a pleasure talking Nets with you. And big thanks to everybody for listening. And check the buzz on all stream platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.